Welcome to Sisflix, the podcast where we won't judge you for talking through the movie. Sisflix are the movies you laugh at, yearn for, and overanalyze with your girls, significant others, and now us. We are your hosts, Paola and Naja, two sisters and designers who discuss chick flicks we hate to love, tropes we love to hate, and all of the aesthetic choices in between. Join us as we break down our favorite movies together. Hey, sister. Hey, sister. We're in the middle of spooky season. By the time we release this episode, it's going to be the end of spooky season. It's actually Friday the 13th. Hello. Dun, dun, dun. Are you suspicious? Suspicious? Do you mean superstitious? Are you... (laughs) You didn't let me finish. I was going to say, you got to let me get through my thought. (laughs) Are you suspicious about superstitions? (laughs) You got to let me finish my sentence. Um, Okay. (laughs) Am I superstitious? No, not terribly. I'm I'm superstitious in like small ways. No, are you suspicious? Am I? (laughs) What's my question? (laughs) Don't mince my words. <laughs> so, something. I love numbers. We're recording this on Friday the 13th, and it's going to be released on the 31st. <gasps> That's because you and your family are big 13 people. We are. Isn't that so weird? Should I feel weird about that? I don't know if we should feel weird about that, but... It's because of your husband. Yeah, I guess so. But it's also this, like, number that follows me around in life. Maybe because of my husband. But I've seen it peak in other areas. So we just consider it our lucky number, which is kind of weird for many, but I'm going to stick with it. So do you have any fun Halloween traditions? We kind of talked about this when we talked about Hocus Pocus. Once I grew out of trick-or-treating, no. Trick-or-treating was genuinely my favorite part. Hanging out with friends, going trick-or-treating, putting on a costume, like the doing was the fun part. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm not a huge Halloween person. You and I have talked about this. Like, I don't like scary movies. I don't like spooky stuff. I'm a Christmas gal. We like cheer, not fear. Cheer, not fear, baby. That's going to be the Christmas motto. Cheer, not fear. (laughs) I feel like I really, I love early autumn. I love like pre-spooky autumn. And then I love like post-Thanksgiving Christmas pre-winter autumn. (laughs) (laughs) Like I love that time because I can be like a very melancholy person. And so I lean towards like nostalgia, kind of like a soft sadness that's not necessarily fully sad, but that's what I like. Nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. Like just a little pain. Just a touch. But in memory. With a little tea. Pain and a little tea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. I think we're there together. How about you? I like the dressing up aspect. I think like the dressing up and kind of like being a different person for a night. Like as an introvert, it was like my night to not be myself and get to kind of be a little performative, which I enjoy sometimes. Mm -hmm. You're like the least Leo Leo. 
Yeah, there's a constant like internal battle between <laughs> the Leo me and like the introverted me. There, it's weird. Yeah, I like that. Again, when we were talking about hocus pocus, like it's just one of those things that brings so many people joy. Christmas brings us, like you and I, people in our family, like a lot of joy. Not because we're religious, because of capitalism. Christmas and Halloween, <laughs> <laughs> Halloween brings lots of people joy in their own way. So having people experience joy and find things to get excited about, I think, is like enough. This movie, even I think, this movie kind of like lands in that liminal autumnal new england space is it explicitly about halloween even though i guess the last scene of the movie kind of ends on halloween spoiler not spoiler sister tell me what we're uh what we're discussing today yeah so we're gonna talk about practical magic and i think you really hit the nail on the head it's not really a halloween movie no it's not even really an autumn movie it's this like a movie, summer spring movie it's never cold it's a hundred percent like they talk about solstice and it's obviously not winter solstice they're in the north east, east i think they're supposed to be like in massachusetts they're supposed to be in massachusetts although this movie was filmed in washington state girl opposite side of the country but all right. So you're in like New England summer, mm-hmm. but the whole aesthetic of the movie is very autumnal. Like, and maybe it's because they're witchy, right? Maybe they have like the dark clothes, they have the long skirts and dresses. Obviously, with Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock, like you got to take advantage of like arms and boobs. So you got to yeah, put them in hot. tank tops. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so- for sure. They're in tank tops a lot, so they throw on, like, cardigans and little sweaters. So that's what gives it, like, the autumn aesthetic. And, like, their long hair, and you got Nicole Kidman's red hair. And mm-hmm. the witchiness of it is what gives it an autumn feel. But when you really look into the movie, it all takes place in spring and summer. So, yes, as Paula said, we are talking about 1998's Practical Magic, starring as sisters Sally and Jillian Owens. Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman in their 1998 realness. It was directed by Griffin Dunn, Nepo baby, son of director Dominic Dunn, brother to deceased actress Dominique Dunn. So that was actually like a really sad and like famous murder case in Hollywood. This movie is based on source material, a novel written by Alice Hoffman of the same name. The movie was written by Robin Swicord, Akiva Goldsman, and Adam Brooks. So the movie also stars Stockard Channing, the actor that played Rizzo in the only version of Grease. Fun fact. Fun fact. Naja played Rizzo uh. in high school. <laughs> oh no. I did. I did do that. Uh, my senior year of high school, I did play Rizzo in my local high school's production of Grease. <laughs> what a time to have been alive. So Stalker Channing, also known as Rizzo, plays Aunt Frances, one of the kind of matriarchal figures to the aforementioned Sally and Jillian, played by Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman. The other matriarchal figure is played by Diane Wiest, the other aunt known as Aunt Jet. So Rizzo is Aunt Frances, Diane Wiest is Aunt Jet. They are incredibly witchy, so conspicuous. They never give a singular shit about trying to blend in, be normal, or look any less witchy than they always do. The soundtrack, tons and tons of vibes. I will say the soundtrack is incredibly 90s girl power heavy. So we've got Joni Mitchell, Stevie Nicks, 
Faith Hill, then some classics by Marvin Gaye and Harry Nelson. But I would say for the most part, the songs that you hear most prominently, like along with their lyrics and stuff are like nineties girl power songs. So now that we've uh, given you a little bit of an intro, we're going to hit you with the scorecard. Paola, tell me, is this a straight or a queer okay. story? We have a straight love story. We do. So I was going to say, classifying this movie as a love story, even for me, is kind of hard. Because I don't think the center of the story is romantic love. I think the center of the story is like sisterhood and like family love. So it is a love story of a different kind. Does it have source material? As I said before, it absolutely does. Novel of the same name written by Alice Hoffman. According to Paola, she could tell me a little bit more about this just because she researched this more specifically. There are significant changes between the plot of the book and the plot of the movie. We would have loved to read the book. We didn't. So we're going to let the internet tell us the difference. Was the story written by a man or woman? It was written by a woman, both the novel and I think almost all of the screenwriters that are credited for the movie. Was the movie created by a man or woman? The director is a man and he... Nepo babies, it's hard because I think there are some Nepo babies that you're like, damn, this is the only business they could have grown up in. They're fucking killing it. And then there are some that you're like, but if your dad had been a plumber, you probably would be a plumber. You know what I mean? There are some that it's like, you don't have the star power, baby. But what you do have is contacts. You've got the Rolodex. And I just aged myself by saying that. The Rolodex. Don't come for me. You remember what a Rolodex is better than I do. And... Not to be a bitch. I have a feeling that Griffin Dunn is like, you could have been a plumber if your dad was a plumber. You know what I mean? So I was reading kind of like vague reviews for some of his other movies as I was doing a little bit of research on this one. And it, they are panned. He, I don't think he's like incredibly well regarded as a director. I have issues with this movie that Paula and I have discussed off mic and we'll continue to discuss on mic for your pleasure. We'll get into that, but... If I'm doing like a 10 out of 10 on behalf of me, Paula, you don't have to answer this. I would give it like a smooth six. All right. What would you say is a trope? I mean, can this movie fall under trope category? I mean, on, other than witchy, is witchy a trope? Witch shit. Witchy shit. Witch shit. Witch trials. But, oh, sisterhood. Uh, accidental murder. I'm kidding. <laughs> accidental <laughs> murder. Classic, classic accidental murder trope. Well, you know what? I do think there's like a bit of a cover up trope covering up a crime. Uh, oh, true. Yeah. Maybe. Family lore trope. For sure. Family lore. It's giving Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I mean. The two aunts, the black cat, the house. That's it's spectacular. There's always a Victorian home. There's always aunts. And I'm going to say it. First of all, where the fuck are these people's moms? I mean, in this movie, we find out. And to be perfectly honest with you, in Sabrina the Teenage Witch, I can't remember because I watched that show when I was a child. But it's always aunts, kind of like surrogate mothers raising girls, teaching them to be witches. Obviously, in this movie, and a couple we just mentioned, Mm -hmm. there's definitely like this sensationalized view of what witchery is right or whatever yes. like you you get all the stereotypes the victorian homes and the aunts and the cats and the every time i think witchcraft i just want to say the witchcraft of notre dame no i don't think that goes it's together. not a thing it's just because of the way it tastes on my mouth like hunchback of notre dame the witchcraft the of witchcraft. notre dame <laughs> hey if 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 that makes you feel good okay continue i don't need this but In essence, it's really about women coming together. 
Yes. Whether it's women, whether it's a family of women, whether it's a sisterhood built in or a sisterhood you created, this is always where the witch stories lie. Well, yeah, because we need a pretext for women to be bound to each other in society. Yeah, it must be. Maybe. The, about the unity of women. Women can't just like be friends. They have to be bound by magic. I mean, I'm mostly kidding about that. Obviously, we have many movies where women are just friends. But there's something about tethering women together with magic that I think is kind of popular in movies and books and stuff. And I'm not 100% sure why that is. There's like a lot of research I'm sure I could do. But like Paula said, you know, witchcraft is often associated with women, not even necessarily for any reason outside of misogyny, just as a way to persecute and divide women. Non-conforming women mm -hmm. who don't meet the standard of given society, whichever one that may be yeah. in the time that it may be, are labeled outcasted, labeled weird, and they must be up to something. Yeah. Women functioning outside of the control of men. All right. With that said, we're going to dive into this shit. All right. Here is the small back of the book summary for the book movie plot. This is mostly for the movie because the movie and the book diverge significantly. So small summary for this movie plot. Sisters Jillian and Sally Owens, played by Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock respectively, are the latest in a long line of New England witches cursed to doom any man with whom they fall in love. Sally is left widowed with two daughters, moving back in with the witchy aunts who raised her and needs to reluctantly use her magical abilities to save her sister or lose her forever. We open up through the narration of a woman telling a story, and it starts with, for more than 200 years, we Owens women have been blamed for everything that has ever gone wrong in this town. And you see a group of people dressed as pilgrims? Yeah. Naja, give me a time frame. No, definitely Pilgrim. So it would have been like the 1600s. But Paola's note in the outline is fucking killing me because she <laughs> literally wrote. <laughs> she wrote a group of people dressed as the Pilgrims for my third grade storybooks. <laughs> time period question mark. Time period is not like a thing in this movie. Like, you know, time passes, but they don't really give you a date. Um, and they're standing in front of uh, the gallows and there's a woman up on trial for what you're assuming is witchcraft. You hear her name is Maria and you find out this is the first witch in the Owens family and she was being tried for witchcraft. They don't really specify on a time period. They don't really specify a place. You know this is New England or Massachusetts because it's specified in the book. But they don't at any point throughout the movie say a place other than Arizona, which is mentioned later on. At one point, they do mention Logan Airport, which is the airport in Massachusetts ah. outside of Boston. There. And that's the only time, you know, where, where the fuck at. they are. Yeah, <laughs> correct. So as they're going to hang Maria, her rope snaps and you assume it's through her magic and she survives the hanging. When she survives the hanging. Everybody and fucking freaks every out. Every... Everybody <laughs> just hauls ass. They're like, oh, I don't want none of this smoke. And they're out. Mm -hmm. So you learn through the narration that these two older women are talking to two younger girls about their ancestor, the woman that we just saw survive this hanging, and how her magical powers were passed down to them. So this is a generational story. 
Maria was banished along with her unborn child after the failed hanging. And she was banished onto an island. And this is the island where they still live till this day. What island is this supposed to be? It's kind of supposed to be just like an island off the New England coast. So I think I have a very limited knowledge of New England. No one fucking come for me. But I'm thinking like, I don't know, some Martha's Vineyard type shit. Mm. Cutesy, white people who like boats. I don't think it's meant to be seen as like a rich person town. I think it's meant to be like pretty working class. Like everybody's like a fisherman or they sell fruit or they have a little shop. Except for the fact that the main characters live in a $17 million house. Anyway, so they live on this glorious little island. You get this sense of like, this could have been intentional directorial decision. I'm going to go ahead and say it wasn't. But the way that we like avoid mentioning the passage of time or have like a very loose undefined view of how time moves in this movie I think is kind of important because there's no actual seasonality there's no sense of like are the kids in school are they not like they mention the kids being in school but then it's like kind of warm out so you're like is it summer there's no winter you never see anyone wearing a jacket the most you get is like sometimes it rains and sometimes it doesn't it's weather that you see rather than the passage of time and they're spanning through years. Yes. They're going through, you know, the girl, there's the girl's childhood, the main character's childhood. Then they go through their adulthood. Then you see they have children and yeah. you see those children come up. And at no point is there a seasonal change, a holiday. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes it hard to pinpoint when things are happening other than like certain mentions here and there of a date. Again, that could be something like an intentional decision meant to like disorient the viewer, kind of make you search for like markers of time in the movie. Um, Mm. I don't think that's what it was. So, but you know what? Assume best intent. Let's pretend that's what it is. How fun. How fun that we don't know when anything is happening. The characters also don't really age. The children age, but the older women don't really age kind of throughout the entirety of the movie even though when you meet the elder aunts like aunt francis and aunt jet they're the same age for the entire movie you can assume 20 years have passed between sandra bullock and nicole kidman go from being children to being full-blown adults and the aunts look exactly the same so i think that is like an element of like magic or self-care. Or amazing skincare. Amazing self-care. W- wow. Maybe the Na- witches knew about sunscreen. Me- natural medicinal properties of herbs. Witch hazel. <laughs> and the shit they grow. Witch hazel. <laughs> Witch hazel and like a little, I don't know, beeswax on the ma- Like who knows? Yeah. You know, a good diet. Wow. A vegetable every now and then. <laughs> That's fucking crazy, yo. Those what, what they don't know is those women are 70. They look amazing. No. Um, okay. So Maria's robe has snapped she survives the hanging maria's banished to this island right where they continue to live generations and generations of women who are kind of descended matrilineally which is like very interesting right because it's like all the women have the last name owens and you're like what about the men they married nope doesn't matter they all keep their last name i love it i respect it and they all just keep the matrilineal last name and As Maria is pregnant with her unborn child, ready to pop, she's pissed. The man she wanted to be with has left her. She casts a spell upon herself that would not allow her to fall in love. She doesn't want to fall in love with another man. Through narration, 
we learn that over time, over many, many generations, this spell has morphed into a curse where if any Owens woman falls in love, her husband or her, you know, love interest man dies. So it robs him of his life, robs her of her happiness, fills her with grief. The curse, even though that wasn't the intention of the curse, that's what the curse becomes. We love a plot hole. I want to drive a Mack truck through this plot hole. Then we we kind of flash forward to a young family in what we kind of assume to be contemporaneous with when you're watching the movie. Again, there's like a very loose interpretation of time. You learn that there are like two little girls who are playing. One of them has straight red hair. The other one has wavy brown hair. And they have like this beautiful mother and father and they're all playing on a beach. And again, through narration, this is all kind of happening, you know, in support of this storytelling um the mother yeah there's like a little girl as you see this uh, a little girl that's like you know is that why is that how daddy died because of this curse and you see like her mother hears the rattle of the death beetle once you hear the rattle of the death beetle that means that like the beloved man in your life will die and there's nothing you can do to stop it their father dies And we don't really understand what her outcome is, just that she, quote unquote, died of a broken heart after their father died. They don't dive into that. I wonder what that means. That's one thing I would like to see if it's clarified in the book. Died of a broken heart intentionally died of a broken heart or like fell into a deep depression and her health failed. They don't go into that. They only say died of a broken heart. And then kind of like the aunts, I feel like there's a part where they kind of just look at each other. Like, this is the story they're telling the girls. Yes. She died of a broken heart. I'm morbid and I'm going to assume that, that she maybe. ended her life. So again, through this like voiceover storytelling, we see the same two little girls previously from that happy scene with their parents. They are now dressed in black. We can assume that they are fresh from a funeral. They arrive to the most fucking magnificent victorian home on the coast of an island anyone's ever fucking seen in their lives two incredibly eccentric women who look like birds receive them beautiful birds it is hats it is high necklines there is lace long strings of pearls we are witchy baby you know what nothing's gonna stop us it's victorian styling or it's nothing i love that (laughs) They went Victorian with the house. They went Victorian with the clothes. I mean, are they from Victorian times? Are they just eccentric? Are they just eccentric, but specifically from this specific era? It's what makes the aunts ageless in a sense, right? Like very old, but in the same way ageless because they don't change from this, this style that they have. They continue this on through the duration of the movie. So... Once the aunts welcome the two little girls into their home, they're as kind as you can be to children who have just lost their parents. They say, in this house, we have chocolate cake for breakfast. Ooh, red flag. And we never bother with silly little things like bedtimes or brushing our teeth. Two more red flags, okay? (laughs) Listen, chocolate cake for breakfast is a clear green flag. I don't know what you're talking about. Bitch, me saying that, me disagreeing with you, (laughs) jail. Do you know how much money I've paid in root canals? I don't want to say. Brush your fucking teeth, okay? Don't eat chocolate cake for breakfast. And if you do, brush your teeth after. Holy fuck. Well, no. They want to let you know that this is a... They're cool. Rules are fluid here. 
we're kid friendly. We want you to feel comfortable. We're fun. We don't follow these society rules that other people make you follow. I think that that's the message they're trying to send. And again, kind of through voiceover, but with the sweet comes the sour. So with the sweetness of this kind of like liberated life comes the sour of how society receives them, right? The girls quickly realize that they are judged and mistreated by this town. They're often bullied. Kids will gather around their insanely glorious and magnificent yard to chant, which, which, you're a bitch. Because kids have never been creative and they're not going to start. Which, which, you're you're a a bitch. bitch. Girl, I could come up with something better than that in my fucking sleep and you should be embarrassed. The first time I saw this movie, I'm like, why are the kids saying that? I'm like, these are like eight year olds. They can say the B word. Get the fuck out of here. God. I remember when I decided to start cursing. It was an active decision. Now I just can't stop. I think I was like 11 or 12. I was in middle school and I was like, hell yeah, finally. Fuck these guys. Fuck this. I'm, I'm emerging to become my truest self. <laughs> so through a meal in their home, you realize that Fran. Oh, they're outside when they're having this meal. It's like a beautiful garden. And so their house is seaside as well or lakeside. I don't know, but it's by water. And so they have these scenes where they eat outside and you have this beautiful scenery. It's gorgeous. It's super beautiful. And they really do try to take advantage of like a ton of this natural scenery to the extent that it's real. I'm not 100% sure. So apparently they built this house on this island for this movie. Well, they built the facade. Yes, it's just a show. How frustrating that it's not real. It's not a real house. I can't look it up for you. I can't even give you history on it. It's just rude. Set, set piece. So as they're eating in the garden, what we learn from the aunts who are kind of like, the vehicles for exposition in this movie we are getting exposition from the aunts and the aunts only anytime they're on the screen they're basically just informing the viewer of something right so we learn that aunt francis or aunt franny as she's known by the nieces now aunt franny's husband also died they go inside to practice spells because aunt franny and aunt jet have decided that these girls are going to be two little fucking witches baby sally has a talent for magic she's gifted and Jillian hasn't really found her gift yet, but she's culturally witchy. You know, they go in the house, they get to practice magic, and the little girl's like, oh, shouldn't I do my homework first? And the aunts are like, homework? Like, no, you're going to learn shit in this house that you're not going to learn anywhere else. But I think Sally's the older one as well, right? It's hard to tell. They never really explicitly say. Because they look very much the same age. They do. I don't even know what's the age difference between them. I have no idea. Sally presents older. She does. She's more responsible. Yeah, no. And even in this scene, like she's coming into her talent earlier than the other one. So you're assuming she's more experienced. We get to a scene where a woman, some townswoman, is visiting the aunts for help. She wants the man that she loves to be obsessed with her. We learn that he is married. She wants him to leave his wife and come and be with her. And she is like really bent out of shape. She's like crying. She's pulls out a picture of an incredibly average and forgettable looking man, kisses it. She's like (laughs) down bad. And she says, I want him to love me so much that he can't stand it. And so the aunts say, you need to uh, stab a dove for magic reasons. And it says, be careful what you wish for. 
Paola added in some fun context from the book where you learn that he does become toxically obsessed with her and she condemns the witches for cursing her with his love, even though it was exactly what she wanted. Yes, she later on blames the witches for putting a curse on her after giving her what she asked for. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, be careful what you wish for because men ain't shit. Also, this woman shows up like in a bata. She's struggling. You need this man to want you, but you walking around. <laughs> you sound like your mother. She <laughs> <laughs> you want this man to want you, but you're, you walking, around, you're walking around with no <laughs> makeup on. Sweetie, you're in a row. Girl, go through your hair. While witnessing this from an incredible Victorian wooden staircase, Sally watches this scene and in a very sensible and brunette way says, I hope I never fall in love. And Jillian, in a very unsensible, redheaded way, says, I can't wait to fall in love. For her to see this scene and be like, ugh, I cannot wait Super for that cool. to be me. <laughs> this looks fun. And Sally's very much like, ugh, Fuck I do no. not ever want to be like this woman right here. Again, I have not read the book. Paola has been kind enough to include tidbits from the book. Another plot hole. Listen, this is a plot hole built for a tractor trailer, okay? You're Uh telling me that Sally's like, I never want to fall in love. I'm going to cast a love spell, but I'm going to make the love spell really obscure so that no one can ever fit into my spell. What? Just make a spell that would make you not fall in love, you fucking weirdo. But they already have a spell for them not to fall in love. No, they fall in love. It's just that now it's a curse so that their men die. They fall in love, but and then their men die. That was a spell gone awry because the spell was meant for Maria, the ancestor, to not fall in love, and it turned into a curse Some bullshit. for the rest of the Owens women. But Sally's like, what? They don't say age, but I'm assuming by how she looks, 11, 11. 10, I would 11. Say 11. So she's like, I'm going to conjure up a spell with the most unbelievable person this person cannot exist he's not real i want to conjure up a spell to fall in love with this person that doesn't exist therefore i will never fall in love that's the way she sees it and that is the most bananas logic well it's bananas logic because she's 11 it's bananas logic period i remember (laughs) i'm sorry like 11 you're not stupid you're just 11 yeah you are (laughs) i was watching this movie last night prepping i'm incredibly well prepared i was watching this movie and i was like What the actual fuck? If I was 11 and I was desperate not to fall in love, I'd be like, someone find me the not love spell. Someone find me the spell Mm -hmm. that makes me a stone cold bitch. Like, let me not tempt fate by being like, I'm only going to fall in love with the blondest man with the bluest eyes with skin the color of strawberry milk. Like, that's like, if that's my husband, that's what I'm describing. And enters Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) With almost more tattoos than skin. Like, yeah, that's my husband. So... That's weird. You know what I mean? So to me, I know she's 11. I know it's supposed to be kid logic. To me, that is a glaring and dumb plot hole. But you need fodder for what comes later on in the plot, right? Sally casts this fucking weird goddamn spell. In the spell that she calls Amas Veritas, he will hear my call from a mile away. He will whistle my favorite song. He can ride a pony backwards. He can flip pancakes in the air. He will be miraculously kind. His favorite shape is a star. He'll have one green eye and one blue. Honestly, this could be like a lot of dogs. So it sounds like you need to adopt a nice pet, 
get yourself yeah. a gorgeous husky with one blue eye and one green and call it a fucking day, Sally. Yeah, no, but she didn't want to find that. This is what she does not want to find. <laughs> Lord. And the list itself is very like. 11 years old. He loves cookies. It's kind of cute and kind of like, aw. But you're definitely supposed to see the trauma that these girls have kind of witnessed in that she's making this spell to not fall in love and not experience what the people around her have experienced. Right, including their own mother. So as she releases her spell, a bunch of fun flower petals float up in a very Lion King Rafiki fashion in front of her face. (laughs) (laughs) They're carried away by the wind. The spell is cast. And... We get this kind of transition where she goes from being little Sally to being older Sally. Now she is Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock, slightly younger than she will be in the rest of the movie. How do we know this? Because she's wearing denim shorts and a little teeny tiny crop top. And that's how we know that she's younger. Older Jilly, short for Jillian, is Nicole Kidman now with the same very late 90s straight across bangs, long straight hair. It's red. Nicole Kidman's natural hair color is red so Uh i think her natural hair color is probably a lot closer to what she was sporting in this movie than how we have seen her as like an ice blonde for like the rest of her acting career and the red suits her so well it does you can tell i love this red on her it's meant to be like with her skin tone and her eyes blonde really washes her out but that's how she's been baby for years so older jilly redheaded nicole kidman enters carrying a bag of clothing it's nighttime it's looking like she is sneaking out of this house she's running away she's climbing down the front facade of this beautiful house and there's like nondescript absolutely no business being their man waiting for her in front of the house in a car she's got a bag of clothing she just dumps it off the roof she is definitely the one who's supposed to be like a fun time gal loose loose morals and Jillian is saying goodbye, that she's going to run away with this guy. I don't want to be here anymore. Fuck this town. The people here suck. I'm done with this shit. You know, very rebellious of her. And Sally asks Jillian if she loves this man. Again, nondescript, nameless, bland white guy in a car outside this house. Does Jillian love him enough to marry him? Jillian answers, what's enough? I hate it here. I got to get the fuck out of here, bitch. Jillian and Sally make a blood pact which is like kind of sweet, but gross because they're already sisters. You can assume they share enough DNA to grow old together and die on the same day. That's very precious. If you and I could make that pact and I had like reasonable scientific evidence that it would hold. (laughs) That it would happen. I would do it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to know what the world is like if you're not there. So they make this blood pact. I want to talk about this for like one second because this is something that drives me fucking crazy about movies and TV. They take like a pocket knife (laughs) (laughs) and just like ever so delicately slides it off. Slices their fucking palm. Dude, (laughs) this is why that makes me so angry. Do you know how many fucking nerve endings are in your palm? Just like by virtue of evolution, the things you're supposed to be able to feel with your fucking hands. Well, I don't think you're meant to cut that deep. Just enough to bleed is what you need for the blood. (laughs) Go, go into the kitchen. Grab a knife, <laughs> slice your fucking hand. I don't care how deep you go. Just do it, Paola, because it's not just hurt. 
<laughs> it's shallow. Shut up. It's a fuck ass place to do a fucking blood pact. You know where, what would be a great place to do a blood pact? I don't know. Back of your bicep, back of your elbow, all back of your forearm. Anytime they've depicted a blood pact, they definitely do the bicep <laughs> and they put their biceps together. Fuck off. <laughs> I think that's the go to. I'm saying to represent to blood the pact. pain. <laughs> you know how annoying that is? You know how much you use your fucking hands? You're going to be reopening that wound for like a month i'm so annoyed movies do that shit all the fucking time it's like i need your blood for this and they're like nice i'm gonna slice directly through the tendons of my thumb and we are gonna get your blood (laughs) and then i'm gonna pretend that my hand doesn't hurt like a bitch for the next month anyway they make a blood pact do they have diseases nobody knows does jillian practice safe sex we don't know that yet okay so the aunts these two old birds and Sally walk to the post office and they get a letter from Jillian. So time has passed. You don't know how much time has passed. But now it's uh, now it's the next scene and they're picking up a letter from town. It could be the next day. It could be the next it, year. Yeah. You do not know how much time has passed. Maybe they were really All relying you know, on context clues. Seriously, because the only, no, only way you know that serious time has passed is she's left the guy. And she lives somewhere else now and now is with some other guy. Yes. And they kind of make a comment that like, man, Jillian really does go through guys. She's loose. No, I'm joking. They don't say that. But that she kind of like is like a man eater, right? Like she's got many boyfriends, breaks their hearts, moves on to the next and like moves around the country and like fucks off. She's now living in Orlando, which I don't know, maybe in the 90s that was okay. I'd be afraid for her life today if she was in Orlando. She's a white redhead. She'd be fine. I know she'd be fine, but like, God forbid she gets pregnant. Um, as the, <laughs> as the, there's nothing she could do now. Nothing she can do. She's got to escape again. <laughs> she has to abscond from Florida. Oh man. All right. Imagine this is the one thing where I'm like, oh, I'm pro-life. No. Needless to say, we here at Sisflix Pod, we here at the Sisflix Pod Corporation are pro-choice. <laughs> Okay, (laughs) getting that out of the way. But as they walk through the town, you notice that the locals and the townies stay away from them, are eyeing them with like lots of suspicion. Jet, the blonde aunt, is very sweet and polite to everybody. She's adorable. She's the sweet one. She's so cute. Yeah. She's just like, hi. And like people are actively ignoring her and getting out of her way. And she's like, have a nice day. And it's kind of like, oh, you know, she's not going to let these fucking assholes get her down. Like she's no. And you know, it's very Bridgerton, the cut direct of you saying hi to people. The cut direct. And them just like putting up a wall and, and New Yorking past you. So Sally, as she's walking with her aunts, expresses all she wants is a normal life. She's tired of this shit. All right. Pause, though. Yes. Real quick. I just need to address (laughs) Jet, the Rizzo aunt. The way she's walking with, like, her big-ass hat, and then she's got this tiny orange umbrella. Like, what are you doing? Vibes. What's the umbrella doing? It's just there for the vibes. Vibes. And (laughs) I love it. Vibes. Because what function is any part of her outfit serving except for the hat blocking the sun? vibes. Vibes. They're not even having a fun time walking. Vibes. You can't tell me those women aren't sweating. They look hot. Like, hot like temperature. So... Sally is melancholy. I'm so fucking tired of everyone knowing that we're witches and hating us for it. And why have we lived in this stupid fucking town? They suspect. They're suspicious and uh-huh. superstitious. Yes. Super suspicious. <laughs> They're superstitious suspicious. Superstitious. About 
the possibility that they are witches. I yes, and they never really like deny it. I feel like it's something that's like a little secret in town, but it's like kind of common knowledge. That's also never well explained in this movie, by the way. Just want to make that clear. No. So Franny, Franny Rizzo, <laughs> Aunt Rizzo, says being normal is not virtuous. Being normal is not what's best for everyone, and it's also not like what's the most fun. As they're walking through town, in the same conversation, this young, like, fruit vendor, fruit mover, handling a bunch of crates of fruit, catches Sally's eye. And he's 90s cute. Faith Hill's song, This Kiss, starts to play in the background. Bitch, you know they're going to fall in love. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, oh, shit. Here it comes. The aunts look on as Sally makes eye contact with this man, and they are giggling and they're making eyes and they see something that we as the viewer also see which is a little tension back home sally cannot stop thinking about this guy but this is the thing i'm almost positive that the aunts put like a spell on her they've like charmed her because she's gardening and she suddenly just looks up from gardening like a fucking meerkat in the savannah and runs out of her garden down the street. She does. But while this is happening, the aunts are like, they're sitting outside and they're like playing some type of board game. And they're like, what time is it? It's supposed to happen already. Now, you know, like, oh, they're up to something. Yes. Right at that moment, Sally looks up like a meerkat and hauls ass. And she is wearing to the middle of town. She's wearing teeny tiny denim cutoff shorts and a lettuce edge cropped T-shirt. Could it be more Who 90s? Short, short. Not if you fucking tried. She runs through town, finds this man in the in middle. Her boots, in boots her and boots. Boots and shorts. Very country 90s. The country 90s crowd loved this shit. Weird. Faith Hill playing in the background. Oh, yeah. I guess you're right. Yeah. And they're in fucking Massachusetts. Galoshes. Some shorts and galoshes running through town. Yeah. It's my favorite gardening outfit. Shorts and galoshes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so she runs through town directly into the arms of the man that she saw earlier, whether that was the previous day, whether that was the previous year, we don't know. The passage of time doesn't make any sense. I assume it's the same day. The song is still playing. It must be the same day. (laughs) So that's how you know. It's the same. (laughs) Very cheesy. It is very cheesy. we'll take it because he's kind of cute. Yeah, he's cute. I mean, she's Sandra Bullock. Totally, she's hot. With the help of a, of a montage, you know how much Bala loves a montage, and the narration of some letters. <clears throat> so a little epistolary moment, you learn oh. that Sally and the man that she is kissing, whose name is Michael, get married and have two daughters, and she's in love. How much time has passed? No one knows. Well, so it's our three-year some- anniversary. She has a five-year-old daughter. You know, they got busy before they made it official. It, it happens. And their kid is fully like eight. <laughs> She's tall. Like, this kid is in grade so school. You can assume almost 10 years has passed. You're only assuming because of the age of the daughters. Yes. And then this is when she's writing her sister to tell her like how her life is going. So now you're assuming they have, they've only been writing to each other. They right. haven't been in each other's has lives. Has her sister not come to her fucking wedding? Cause I'd kill you. Has she not met her kids? Nieces? Oh my God. Has she not seen the aunts? Like you don't know. They, they've, you just, from a letter, you get an update on their current life. It's incredibly and upsetting. you know tons of time has passed just because she's had kids and they're like eight and ten now. It's so upsetting. That's all you know. 
So that happens. It's a very precious montage because they do look like they're incredibly happy. She's very in love with this man. They have two precious daughters that bear a striking resemblance to her and her sister when they were children. One of them is a redhead. One of them is a sensible brunette. And Jilly, we cut over to her where the fuck she's at when we start hearing narration for her letter in response. She's out somewhere dancing in the sun, singing and mingling. She's like at a pool party surrounded by men living her most perfect life. And you know what? I fuck with this version of Jilly's life because I'm like, yeah, I accept. I accept the role of that sister. She's out there living her best life. I accept the role of that sister while Paola is like raising a beautiful family and making a mark on society. I am at the pool. I'm flirting with men I shouldn't be talking to. And she mentions that she's met someone and his name is Jimmy Angelov. Already. We don't like it. Paula, right? Spoiler alert. He's not an angel. And we see that he's not an angel when he walks up behind her in like a pseudo fucking haunted house and blindfolds her. Well, they're clearly at like some type of party. Ugh. Right. And then he like comes up behind her in his like. I'm so distressed. Fucking... But he's got like the dark hair guy thing going and he's like edgy. Right. And he comes up behind her with a blindfold. He's like icky. "Ah, This is sensual to her, which girl, you know, if that's your thing, live your life. You're like, oh, okay, Icky. I don't like it. Feels a little dangerous. Yeah. Like there are drugs in that somewhere in that blindfold. There are drugs. So the sisters have taken two incredibly different paths. Right. They've both gone on completely opposite paths. But with the same, like, they both have this mentality of escape. Their way of escaping are two opposite things. Yeah. Where for Jilly, escaping is, like, living her life, partying it up, you know, singling and mingling. That's her version of a perfect life. Mood. Vibe. For Sally, her version of escaping, like, her trauma, like, or what she feels was her trauma, is chasing normalcy. And for her, that means starting a family, raising her girls like they're everyone else, not like they're different, and, like, conforming from her non-conforming background, I guess. And pretty much, like, assimilating herself and her kids to this small-town life that everybody else around them led while she was growing up. Oh, for sure. We get through these scenes. They're writing letters describing their lives. And we cut to Sally, who's in bed with her entire family, both her daughters and her husband, in a way that's meant to seem precious, but to me, feels sweaty and crowded. Feels like she didn't get any sleep that night. Feels like she woke up feeling like (laughs) dog shit. Her back hurts. (laughs) (laughs) There's a kid's foot in her back as we speak. She starts to hear that telltale rattling of the death beetle. And now it's time for the curse, baby. The curse is happening. Dun, dun, dun. She knows what this means. She knows that she is about to lose her man. And she doesn't know why. And she doesn't know how. She begins to look for it frantically, trying to stop it. What does she think she's going to do? Is she going to kill the beetle and it's going to stop? The whole time I was like, if you kill the beetle first, does your husband not die? <laughs> does, like, does he? Yeah. What? So confusing. So she she literally tears apart the floorboards in her home trying to find this death beetle. Clearly doesn't find it because her husband gets hit by a fucking truck and dies. And, you know, Sally is fucking bereft. She is so depressed. She is so out of it. Ends up moving back in with her aunts in that massive, glorious, incredible seaside Victorian home 
Well, before she goes back to move in with them, she goes and confronts them. Like, this is because of the spell, isn't it? Like, and she's pissed. She's mad. You're right, you're right, you're right. And she tells them, bring him back. She's like, this is part of the Owen spell because I fell in love with him. Yeah. And then the aunts, like, they get this look on their face. They're like, shit, we never thought you would fall in love with him. And she's like, what the fuck do you mean? Mm -hmm. You find out and it's confirmed that... They place a spell on him to fall for her so that she can have a go at a quote unquote normal life because they knew that's what would make her happy. They never expected her to fall in love with him the way that she did. And that prompted the Owen spell to come back and take her husband. And so she takes this moment to be like, oh, so you brought him to me through a spell. Now bring him back to me. Now you start seeing this gray area like, oh, so you good with magic now. So as long as we bring him back from the dead, you're good with us performing this magic for you. Yeah. She's denying the magic when it doesn't suit her. But obviously, extraordinary extenuating circumstances make her want to use it, make her want to use like her power. Right. And that would be anyone in that in those shoes. Like if you lose a loved one, especially your partner that you're in love with. You know, what wouldn't you give to have this person back in your life? Big acting points for Sandra Bullock, too. Like, you can feel the devastation through the screen. Yeah. And you you feel for her. You feel her suffering. She's so upset. Yeah. You definitely feel her despair in these scenes. And the ants refuse. They say they will not bring him back. They warn her that to bring him back, it won't be him. It's going to be something dark and unnatural. Something like otherworldly and demonic. You know, that's that's not the type of witching we do. Their spell book also looks like a scrapbook. Exactly. It's like a little notebook they have in hand and they just write in it. It's like a recipe book where you just dabble in it whenever you get an idea. So, yes, the next scene after she begs them to bring back Michael is moving back in with the aunts, all dressed in black. You're assuming they're coming fresh from a funeral. And Sally has like this thing, like we're moving here. This is temporary. There will not be chocolate cake for breakfast. You will do your homework after dinner and there will be no magic. She makes that clear to her daughters. She makes that clear to her aunts. It's almost like she's there in need of her aunts, but also rejecting their way of life and making it very clear. I don't want my daughters to be influenced by this stuff, Mm. which I get, but it's also messed up. The next time we see Sally, she is under the covers in a depressive state. You assume you see her daughter trying to come up and kind of rouse her from her melancholy, I guess from her sadness. She tries to, to get her to get up. She won't understandably. So her daughter, you know, she's kind of like, all right, well, I'm off to school. Like, she tried. Again, you can tell this is probably a daily exercise at this point. Her daughter tries to rouse her. She's just too sad. Her daughter's like, all right, mom. And then she goes off on her way. So you realize that probably during this time, the aunts are the ones doing the heavy lifting for her kids. Sally's up one night and she starts to look at her hand and kind of like thinks of her sister. I think she says her name out loud. So this scene actually really touched me. Like there's a scene. So, you know, Sally's very depressed. We've seen her daughter, you know, try and interact with her, but she's like laying in bed. She's like really, really struggling. Um, She's grieving hard. And we see her in bed kind of like 
it's nighttime. She's crying. Her daughters are asleep. She's like clutching at her heart. And she looks at her palm and sees the scar from when she did that blood pact with her sister. Luckily, no one has hepatitis. And she just says her sister's name out loud. She's just like, Jilly. She says it in this kind of like needy, like imploring way of like, Jilly, like I fucking need you. I'm struggling. The fact that her sister is not there, even though her husband just died. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. It is. It is weird. 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 We cut to Jilly waking up where no one knows. And she looks at her hand and is like, Sally. She kind of feels her. So like they haven't been in each other's lives, but they have this telepathic connection, mm-hmm. which I can get. Right. But like, you know, they're not present in each other's lives. They're kind of just present to each other theoretically. And you just get the sense that like, not that they've like fallen out or anything. You just get the sense that they're just cool with however frequently they see each other. And it's, it's a little disorienting because it makes how close they are and like the things that they're willing to do for each other confusing. It kind of makes you feel like you just don't have a, a basis for that. Granted, I know people who would murder someone for their siblings and then murder their sibling. You know what I mean? Like people who <laughs> they're not close at all, but like family's family and like blood is blood. But whenever I, I see relationships like this in media, it leaves me very confused. It would make more sense to me if they like hated each other, were fighting all the time. And then it was like, but when shit hits the fan, I'm like there for you. Not yeah. this like, I love you so much. We haven't talked in five years. I never met your husband. Is he dead? And like, <laughs> like that's crazy to me. You definitely get a sense that they're not part of each other's life. She was informed of her nieces and her sister's matrimony through a letter. Yeah. I don't know. I don't get the devotion. I get the bond. I get that that can still be there even without having that all present relationship. But... Yeah, I don't know. It flip flops because then they also have like this telepathy that they can kind of sense each other's pain. Cuts to Jilly in a motel room. She looks at her hand as well. You see her get up. You see she's in a very steamy relationship, which you quickly realize is pretty toxic because you see that she has to spike this guy's liquor. And right away, you're kind of like, what's going on there? Like, you're not sure what's happening, but you know something's awry. Um, You later find out this is belladonna, which is actually a poisonous plant. In the book, they actually use nightshade. So belladonna is like another way to call nightshade. And you find out uh, later that this is the only way she gets him to stay away from her or, or that she gets time for herself, essentially. We're only like half an hour into the movie and I've already been like, plot holes, plot holes. <laughs> but like, this is one of the things that is also kind of very yada yada explained. Like, you know that the guy's fucking toxic just kind of by the way he's acting. Yeah, he, he gives you toxic man vibes. But the first time that I saw this, I think I was like, is she spiking his drink for like sex reasons? I didn't know why. And then it's in a later scene that she's like, oh, well, it's the only way he goes to sleep. That's fucking crazy and also why are you with this man yeah she definitely does not have the best judgment yeah no she's a fun loving freewheeling gal so something that i thought like seeing this behavior of this guy at this point you're watching the movie you're still kind of like wondering what's the deal with him but you find out like this dude's like obsessed so he's crazy he's like psychopath obsessed and It reminds me of 
when they witness that spell they do with that lovesick lady where she's like, oh. I want him to want me, want me so bad he can't stand it. And it's like, did she maybe do something similar? Right. It's, it's almost a little too kooky crazy. I thought about it, but then quickly I'm like, she didn't really evolve in her magic skills, I guess. But I don't know. She's older now. Because remember when she saw that, she's like, oh, I can't wait to fall in love. Like, I can't wait for this feeling that this lady's talking about. Like this obsessive, toxic, I need you all the time love. Like, I hate it. I wouldn't be surprised if she put a spell on him. So she spikes his liquor. Yep. And the next thing you see is her on the road driving into the sunset. So she shows up next to Sally in her bed. Yeah. And you get this sense like that she snuck into the house. And Sally just breaks down and starts talking about Michael. You hadn't really seen her crying aside from like the initial shock and anger she felt after his death. But as soon as she saw Jilly, it was like she was overcome with emotion. It was like she let it go. I think that's a sweet representation of like what sisters kind of do, right? Like you're there for each other and like you finally feel like that license or comfort to kind of like let loose. And then they end up talking all night, kind of catching up. Can't relate. They, (laughs) (laughs) Nadja and I do this every time we get together. (laughs) Then we get up the next day looking like actual (laughs) shit. If it's not talking about, like, shit we're watching on, like, if it's not talking about shit all night, it's, like, going through trailers or watching YouTube watching videos. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So they end up talking all night. And through their girl talk, you find out a little bit more about Michael, Sally's husband. And you learn that they wanted to open up a store and that she wanted to open up, like, a holistic Like an apothecary shop. You get a little bit more insight into Jillian's relationship, that it truly is a toxic relationship. They're together every minute of every day. I mean, she seems to love it, but then she's like, you know, I got to give him a little bit of Donna to get some sleep, girl. And you're kind of like, damn, that sounds a little intense. And that's what Sally says. I don't think she responds anything real. I think she's just kind of like, hmm, (laughs) he is intense. But, you know, she's, like, obsessed with his persona as, like, this vampire type guy. Dracula cowboy. And next scene, they're, like, back in bed. And Jillian kind of is trying to encourage Sally to get back up on her feet. And she does this by asking her, do you forgive our mother who died of a quote-unquote broken heart? And Sally, actually, surprisingly, she kind of hesitates and then says, sometimes. So you know there's some resentment there. They definitely hold something against the fact that their mother couldn't be there for them. That's when Jilly responds, you'll never be able to forgive yourself if you don't take care of your girls. That gave her the strength to get up and get herself going Yeah, through the next couple of days. Again, what's time? We don't know. 
You don't know. All you know, <laughs> Jillian leaves. She sneaks out of the house. Nobody knew she got there other than Sally. Next, you see that Sally's starting to open up her new store, her apothecary. The only street in town. <laughs> On the one strip in town. <laughs> this is the only place people frequent. There's one street and nothing else. She's finally opening up her apothecary that her and Michael used to talk about, you know, and it's almost like it's sunnier. She's in a bit better mood. Her girls are visiting her at the apothecary. And so you're getting the sense like they're all able to keep going. Her girls are outside and they start to get bullied by a whole bunch of kids who start yelling. Which, which you're a bitch. Like, nobody came up with anything different in the past decade or two. (laughs) Get some originality. Use Google. We've got computers, okay? Not in this movie, but come on, guys. Also, it's still the late 90s in this movie. Why don't they have a computer? Well, because time isn't real, and we don't know what year it is. (laughs) And... This is like in Hocus Pocus where the bullies are all smashing the pumpkins and nary an adult in sight. Right. When there are big bullying scenes like this, I'm like, oh, that's so sick to not fucking have parents, question mark. Well, no, the parents are there and they're like with it because the girl, Kylie, which is the oldest, these kids are yelling at her and her sister. She goes like, I hope you get chicken pox. And everybody like gasps. Everybody Everybody grabs their pearls. The parents like stupid. Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. The parents are like part of the bullying. It's it's Mm. terrible. Feels a little imperialist to me. Sally. Sally comes out in defense of her daughter, but then reprimands her daughter for casting. For doing a little wee bit of magic. Well, you don't know if she did magic or not. She you just know that she pointed her finger and said, you know, I hope hope you get the motherfucking chicken pox bitch oh you mean like a common childhood disease (laughs) (laughs) i'm dead he got it because of her comically later on in the movie he like shows up with chicken pox which is very funny anyway sally gets mad at her the daughter she talks back because she gets mad like no you don't cast i bet you can't even cast if you wanted to you know, she has her little preteen moment and she walks off with her sister. And it's a cute moment because the sister's like mad, the oldest. And then the youngest like, I think you made mom feel bad. Here again, you have like the nice sister and like the headstrong sister. You have yeah. the same dynamic. I feel like that's the same dynamic the aunts have, right? You have the nice sister and then you have like, the I don't give a shit sister. And then you have a similar dynamic between Sally and Jillian. You see the same dynamic again with her daughters. Back at home, the girls are confiding in the aunts, and Sally walks in on this, and she doesn't like it. She sends the girls to bed, and she tells the aunts, I don't want you filling their heads with any of your nonsense. Which is kind of mean. It is mean. There's a little erasure there for me, for her. She wants to be normal so badly. At the expense of, like, of who she is. Yeah. The aunt. Is it Jet, right? Jet, she's my favorite. Diane Weiss is my favorite. She's like, ah, we would never tell them nonsense. The aunt's like, what we're not going to do is lie. And then next time you see Sally, she's writing a letter to Jilly. Why do they only write letters to each other? That's another thing. They very rarely talk on the phone. And the only time we see them talking on the phone, like shit, something An really emergency. fucked up is happening. Otherwise, they're writing letters. And I'm like, were we doing this in the 90s? 
maybe it's the commitment to like keeping a simple lifestyle. Maybe it's the commitment to the aesthetic for the movie, right? Like this kind to, of to like shit. nostalgic kind of mm-hmm. like the romanticizing of writing a letter. I don't know, but it's 1998, people. Write a fucking email. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up. Get it together. As she's writing this letter, you notice. She's using magic very small ways. She uses it to light her candle. She uses it to stir her tea. So you kind of see this outward rejection of magic towards the aunts, towards maybe her sister, the lifestyle, but she uses it in her private time. She writes the letter. She says she feels empty. She secretly dreams of love and she wants to be loved. She wants to be seen. So she's having like this moment of she does want love in her life, even though she swore up and down that she never wanted to be in love. Maybe because she feels a little lonely. Anyway, she looks out the window. She notices a full moon. She realizes there's a ring around the moon. This to her means that trouble's coming. So again, she's still going with her witchy instincts that she learns. She's still part of the lifestyle. She ain't fooling no one. Mm -hmm. As she puts the letter in the mail in the middle of the night, the phone rings and she knows instantly that is Jillian. She picks up the phone. Jillian's like, please come get me. I need help. I'm in trouble. Sally goes to the aunts. Hey, I'm going to leave the girls with you. The aunts are like, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. We're going to take them to the solstice with us. So this is the first time you get like indication of time. Summer solstice is in June. So you know it's June now. I have my feet on the ground. I know it's June. Okay. And then she hauls ass to go find Jillian. So Sally arrives to the motel where she finds Jillian sitting in the dark, completely beat up. You understand she's been beaten by... Yeah. By Jimmy Angelov, who is not an Angelov. As they're walking out, she's getting her out there. Jillian realizes that it's a blood moon and she starts to freak out because she left her tiger's eye in Jimmy's car. The bitch runs back to Jimmy's car. And I'm not going to lie to you, dude. I don't know what a tiger's eye is. Here, let's look it up. Okay. So tiger's eye is a crystal. It is known to balance the soul, alleviate anxiety, and restore confidence. All right. The tiger's eye brings protection against negative energy as well. And it's known to strengthen, meant to strengthen you and protect you from negative energy. Okay. Heard. So that's why it's important to Gilly to get her tiger's eye because there's a blood moon, which apparently means trouble. And she runs right into the fucking trouble when she goes to get the tiger's eye. Cause guess who's in the fucking car grabs her and holds her by gunpoint and make Sally drive them around. Fucking Jimmy Angelov. Maldita vaina. Yeah, truly. So now they're driving around. She's in the backseat with the fucking psychopath. And this guy is like trying to brand her foot with his ring. Sally sees this happening and like freaks out on him, almost crashes the car. While all of that shit's going on, she grabs the bottle. They telepathically, I think, communicate that the Belladonna is like in Jillian's bag. Yes. That's in the front, luckily. And she pours the rest of that shit into the liquor bottle. They're waiting for him to knock out. At some point, they stop for him to pee. He takes the key with him so they can't escape. 
and they're just waiting for him to knock out. It's not happening. He comes back to the car and he starts singing You're Always On My Mind by Elvis Presley, which is supposed to be a romantic song. But it is creepy. Now it's a fucking creepy, obsessive song. And he starts to sing it to Jillian and then starts to choke her. Sally goes on the defense, fucking starts to hit him and everything. And finally, he knocks out from the Belladonna. They think he's passed out. But when they look, my guy's dead. D-E-D. Dead. Unalive. Now they start freaking out. Sally's like, oh, but it was self-defense. We can go to the police. She's like, nobody's going to believe it's self-defense. I've been poisoning him for who knows how long. And it's in his fucking system. So they can't go to the police. Jillian has the bright fucking idea that they need to bring him back to life. (sighs) And I feel like you could tell from a distance, this man does not need to be brought back to life. You know what I'm saying? And Sally warns her, no. When I tried to bring Michael back, they warned me that it wasn't going to be Michael who was going to come back. It was going to be something evil and unnatural. And Jillian's like, I don't give a shit. I just need him with a pulse so that I don't get convicted for murder. So they get to the house. They pull this man's body out. They lay him out on the kitchen island. And this is the famous dead man in the kitchen island scene with the two sisters doing a spell over his body. This is the practical magic scene. This entire scene gives me the heebie-jeebies because they're supposed to pierce his eyes with like needles. Uh, But they don't. They end up not doing it. And I'm like, do you think that's why he comes up so fucked up? I don't know. Maybe had they pierced his eyes, it would have fucking worked. If you're going to try to do this shit, you're either going to no ass it or you're going to whole ass it. Don't fucking (laughs) no half. half. (laughs) Ain't no no half. half. So the famous spell in the kitchen over the dead man's body. They wanted to wait for the aunts just because obviously the aunts are more way more experienced at being witches than they are. But the aunts, they're not home, right? Like they've left like with the girls. And if they're bringing him back to life, they want his body to be quote unquote fresh, which is horrible. Gross. They do the spell. Both of them are very nervous. Neither of them are confident really doing the spell. Neither of them are 100% certain even of kind of what they're supposed to do or, or how they're supposed to do it. And they miss one step, which is what we mentioned a little bit earlier. There's one step where they're supposed to put needles in his eyes. But they are both so skeeved out by the idea of putting needles in this man's eyes that they don't. But regardless of them not taking that step, the spell works and he is brought back from the dead. He wakes up, lack of a better term, he wakes up and immediately starts attacking Jillian again and choking her and saying, I want you to be my wife. And he's choking her. Sally takes a frying pan and just beats him over the head until he's dead again sally did not kill him once sally has killed him twice they resort to burying him in the yard they've already summoned something something fucked up the gate's been open whatever energy they brought like it didn't just go back that's the way i see it i'm not wiccan but that's no, you're, sus- you're suspicious but the thing <laughs> i am suspicious and you're suspicious <laughs> I am super suspicious. Super suspicious. This movie doesn't lean into detail. 
Right? It does. Like they, it does not <laughs> lean into detail. They really don't provide a lot of background. I also understand that there is a very fine line between well done exposition and like obnoxious exposition where it's like Paula and I make this joke all the time where <laughs> if we're watching you know like not an amazing movie not an amazing show and they need to find a way to tell you these two characters on screen have known each other since they were seven because their dads are best friends and like it'll literally be like hey man you've seen down the last few days tell me what's up I've been your best friend since we were seven and our dads were best friends like <laughs> Like there, so, now you know their whole life story. Right. So there's like a good way, artistic, more cinematic way of showing things like that versus resorting to just having a character tell you the entire story so that you understand or not having anyone tell you anything at all. Like there's like a midpoint in this movie that they do not meet. Like they just ignore detail. They ignore any exposition after the beginning. After the first like 10 minutes or so, any exposition just is like out the window. You're just trying to put pieces together. <laughs> what time is it? How old are they? Literally. Yeah. Like, what time of year? She's wearing shorts, so I guess she's younger. Okay, she's got full-length pants. Is she older now? Like, and it's... <laughs> they've been married for three years. Her kids are 11. Like, I... There are many holes, right? So this is one of those holes where I'm kind of like... They don't even seem appropriately afraid of, like, quote-unquote, bringing this guy back from the dead. You got what I'm saying? I don't feel like they're nervous enough about the implications because this would have been a moment for exposition where it's like you're not supposed to cross the barrier the threshold (laughs) right for like whatever i'm not a movie writer don't fucking come for me not yet i'm not but that's like the thing that i kind of kept waiting for right and never explanation yes and you don't really get that you're kind of like okay well i guess they bury him now and all right and luckily, it is heavily fucking raining. So their job yes. is impossible. Yeah, now you got to dig a hole six feet deep and with with mud, through mud and pull this guy and then bury him back. And I don't got to tell you that hole wasn't six feet deep. Also, they like finish burying him and it's like untouched ground when they're done. Maybe it's magic. <laughs> Maybe like there's a little bit of magic where you like sod over the, the area yeah, again. Paola, wouldn't it be cool <laughs> if we knew that? Wouldn't it be cool? Right. Like if they show that, to tell us that, but it's just like flat grass again. Even if it's literally Sandra Bullock waves her finger and then you see the grass be perfect. But like that's the thing. Like you assume like this isn't, This is weird because this does kind of happen later on. But I feel like the movie keeps the quote unquote magic, right? The what they're doing, their witchery. It keeps it holistic. It keeps it. It cracks me up that you keep saying witchery instead of witchcraft. Witchery. (laughs) Witchery. So I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is they try. They keep the magic of the movie very uh, tangible. Right. Like this is this is a a, this is something that these gifted people can do. They can summon these things because this is something they practice. It's not like a bewitched scenario where she's, you know, she's not snapping her finger or wiggling her nose and making things just come to be like this is a craft. They're trying to paint that picture. This is a craft that these women do because they have a talent and they've perfected it to this point, right? This isn't like you fucking snap your finger like you're Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Right. Um, so it gives you a bit of almost like a, a, a tangible, a realistic way of what modern witches do or 
without the dark arts, obviously. That's a whole other. Right. So, yeah. So maybe that's why we don't see her waving her finger and like flattening the ground. And right. Other shit would just be easy. They wouldn't have to deal with all the shit that they're dealing with if it was that easy, if they could just snap a finger. I'm going to go ahead and say it was a bad filmmaking decision. Okay, let's proceed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, like, not explain what's happening, for sure. Not even a little bit. Like, there are times that I've listened to film critics or, like, read film reviews, and they've been like, oh, this movie was, like, so over-explaining. Like, this person told me everything. They didn't show me. So that's what I mean. It's like, maybe it's not that they tell us verbally but maybe it's like sandra bullock does a little with like her hand and then you kind of see shit move around (laughs) right or like even with this like dead guy shit maybe she's turning the pages of the spell book without touching it or some shit like that like maybe those are the things because they show parts where she's stirring her tea there's a little magical realism for sure Yes. But they don't, they it's definitely very pick and choose when they do it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that could be better explained, but it isn't. And it bugs me. They make a promise to keep it from the aunts and act like nothing happened. They do. Even they make- though Sally seems to be a terrible fucking liar. But same. I'm also a terrible liar. Paola knows this from when we were growing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me you're, too, though. I'm not, you're not supposed to do that, yo. You're supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we are not good liars together. No, we're not. Like, we, <laughs> do we not catch up. us if it's all wrong because we're just going to tell you about it. Damn, we were brought up to be incredibly candid. Like, So this is a pretty good stopping point for part one of Practical Magic. Um, What have we learned, friends? We've learned that this movie is incredibly inconsistent with how they define witchcraft that Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman only write letters in the year of our Lord, 1998 and do not talk and apparently haven't met each other's significant others or children. We learn that Sandra Bullock is really mad about magic and doesn't want her kids to do it. And that Nicole Kidman has fucking horrific taste in men. And that now together, in addition to being sisters who are going to grow old together and die on the same day, they can also say that they've killed a man together and conspired twice. to hide conspired it. to hide it. <laughs> so that is, yeah, I mean, that is that's jam packed. That is jam packed with information and lots and lots of feelings and little to no exposition. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna break right here, part one of Practical Magic. Will the aunts find out what has happened? Will there be consequences of them killing a man, bringing him back to life, and killing him again? Ooh. Ooh. The only way to find out is to watch the movie or listen to us talk about it in part two. Is there true Ooh. love for Sally? Is boom, 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 boom. Of course there is. Of, co- of course there is. Why? What, what kind of show is this? What kind this of podcast do you think you're listening to? Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we all know what the fuck we're here for. Absolutely. This is Sisflix. Thank you for listening. Check back on us. Check back on us. <laughs> check please back check, on us please next check back on us. My parents have left me alone. <laughs> I don't know how to cook. Someone help me. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. 
If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, please leave a review anywhere you get your podcasts. Come and find us on Instagram and TikTok at SisFlixPodcast. Shoot us an email at SisFlixPodcast at gmail.com to let us know what you think, if you have any suggestions or movie requests for us to cover in the future. If you celebrate Halloween, have a happy, spooky, and safe one. Celebrate your inner witches, bitches. (laughs) Great. Perfect. No notes.